So that I think is very crucial because you will be always living in a super dacha. Hello everyone, this is the Strzelka Institute podcast with a talk by Winnie Maas, a Dutch architect, urbanist and a co-founder of the MVRDV studio. In his lecture, Winnie Maas explains his understanding of the complex relationship between grand design ideas and the seemingly familiar, yet not fully explored, world of the quotidian. My name is uh, Winnie Maas and I'm very happy to have uh, with you uh, today here this conversation, this talk about it suggested uh, the quotidien. The quotidien is the French word for daily life and it's um, somehow it expresses more this kind of wave of endlessness, this state of the art that we, where we feel comfortable and we're uh, used to our surroundings. So what is the role of architecture and urbanism in that? But somehow you immediately have to say that architecture and urbanism is dredged with it and it's like we are operating it by our nature and immediately in that aspect of this given situations, given experiences, given daily lives. There is a series of architects that I guess that uh, are very much a calming down changes in urban life. They confirm basically, they comfort and, um, and they service it in that way. But there is gradually a move of say slightly changing up to a moment that you can see that there are like even shocks sometimes and done by architects for better and for worse. And, and in between there should be a kind of range and hopefully of nuanced methods because I think also that, that you have probably the, it shocks on one element but on the other hand it confirms maybe on very other elements. So that fascinates me and where do I maneuver in it? One of course I think our architecture is very direct. It wants to have, it's, it's these details are about directness because they want to communicate basically with not with architects, but with people that use it or people that see the building. So to give them a kind of opinion about it. And then our buildings should not be too vague because if they're vague, then you already miss the point on actually on the daily life. So I, that's the first aspect which I think is very important to which I enjoy a lot and which make buildings that communicate and that say are direct, clear in that way. That doesn't mean that it has to be a one-liner only. The building can be a very nuanced aspects, but it tries to conceptualize by its nature, actually in that perspective, how can I behave the clearest with all its functional, uh, symbolical, formal uh, needs and necessities that are there in it. So what is the second element that fascinates me in this range, say, between confirmation and shocking, I tend to go towards the experimental side. I mean, there are people that are against that, especially the service providers, but if we don't do then there's also not no new architecture or no new experience to be studied and imagined. So what kind of scenarios can you then say test or can you apply and with a certain hope to, to slightly push the existing towards the new? So what is urbanism? Let me go. Um, how does that affect our daily life? I use say few, three, four projects for that. First one is Greater Paris. Grand Paris is like 14 million inhabitants. So you could say, is it a country or is it a city, but somewhere in between. On that level, how do I feel? How, this kind of greater measurements that are going to be undertaken. So what therefore will change also my behavior with or in that city? And I'm aware that plans on that level are complex, are have a long time perspective, and they are also big in scale and sometimes very abstract. So I try to show some of the examples for that. So the first element was a project that is led by a president with 10 architects involved that try to mobilize the mayors of Paris together because everything is splintered. So that's the first aspect that was 
important for such a large scale because every time that I will go to a municipality to get my license, to get a passport, I see by all the measurements that are undertaken, by the logos, that I'm part of a greater Paris. So that was already very important to discuss. And secondly, in that operation, because now all the mayor want to have the same, maybe it's better that that zone dedicates itself slightly more advanced to, say, agriculture or to forestry or to energy production or to education. The acceptance of that is also part of the project and that affects daily life also because that means that you are living in even more an agriculture environment or even more in an energy environment. You get an address in Grand Paris. So that was the, the first important step to uh, consider. Okay, let's first talk about what Greater Paris then is. So you know Paris, Paris is this like a tapestry of nice houses in the center, and that's only 2%, because the rest is like basically, it's the endless suburbs with very modest uh, qualities as such. Having noticed that, that it means to set an agenda of what we could do, because this dichotomy is basically the main source to say, to act upon. Some say repair, but I would say direct. In order to make that agenda, different, say, notions have been used that are politically very important and that also affects daily life. In this case, all the mayors say we want to be better than Kyoto in the terms of greenness and that way. We want to have a grandeur that's in the spirit of the green city in the future. That helps or immediately to create an agenda. And that agenda is not, because initially you think when you think about greenness, then you have to be smaller, make less windows, it's less costs, it's everything about reduction. Actually, it's also about ambition, more ambitious, even more responsibility. So we moved the agenda from Kyoto, from state small, we have to keep big ambitions and to become big. So the first, say, present that we gave to the president at that moment was a calculator. Because, yeah, how to compare Greater Paris with all the efforts that you do with other cities. Calculator is a fantastic thing because, again, that makes politics, spatial actions in the perspective of politics, become more transparent and measurable. My son, in the beginning, was also not happy with the calculator, but after you get that gift, you start the understanding and say, okay, maybe that's actually a good idea. So that's what we do in this. You can see here how the city calculator comes up, indicates the performances of greater Paris in comparison with other countries, other cities. Some observations. Paris is dense. Greater Paris is like Los Angeles. Tourism in Paris, fantastic. In greater Paris, only Disney World. Paris itself, fantastic place. It's like one of the core places of Europe. But greater Paris is... No work to find in that way. I like also this one, that where you see the division between uh, transport. Parisians like taxis, but the Grand Parisians love cars even more than people in Los Angeles. Again, I was shocked by those figures. And that, that somehow for me, the image of like public transport in Paris is part of daily life. It is not completely true. For 60, 70% of the Grand Parisians, it's the car that is their daily life. So any measurement that we're going to take is affecting immediately also that choice that will appear. So this series shows basically how Greater Paris is performing in comparable with, with New York, eh, because the mayor there wants to say I'm the best always, or in comparison with Moscow. And it has its, its scores. And that sets an agenda when you say I want to be the best in certain aspects. Making that choice visible makes a project like this more acceptable and also somehow it has an effect on your 14 million people, your daily awareness, what is happening around you. Projects are positioned in that perspective. I hope that you are going to defend it ultimately with it. 
So that was the second part of the project. Set an agenda and share it with all the inhabitants. And then you can make a program out of that very easily and it becomes spatial. You have to put a point on the horizon. Most people like that because also then it says there's a perspective. Then and are the Olympic Games or then and then is the kind of the World Expo. In this case also, 2013, that's 17 years. What can we achieve from then? What do we need to have that best city in the world on this green aspects. So, okay, here you see uh, how many forests we need to compensate the air, here you see how much energy we need, how, how much changing of the infrastructure, how much changing in the habitat, what kind of say economy we could apply, and you have kind of volume that's floating over Paris. And that's the gift. This is the cubic meters of program that I need somehow to, and then, so this was my second cadeau or gift to the president as such from, uh, okay, and here you have your staff, basically, Now, now everyone can see what that means. And then I can open the box of Pandora and I can use that, that program to infiltrate in the current situation. That's the desire that we need. If we do it in that way, in this position, then it becomes part of the projects that are already undertaken and that you can position all those kind of elements, more forests, other kind of energy in that way. So I want to show some examples because they touch upon that element of daily life again. So in the energy sector, we had a wide range of projects, but one of them is that we say you make a solar roof everywhere and that law has applied now. That's an interesting how then the houseman will change from say zinc into gold, an aspect that's very important. And the image will completely change of that whole city. And gradually, that infiltrates our perception of the city. Gradually, we start to object or to defend that. So it is because you don't see it always. It's as if in the back of your brains, you keep this with you. And you're going to take that with you in your existence in that uh, city. Another example, that's the infrastructural uh, component. All the trains in Paris end. We have the Terminus, the Gare du Nord, the Gare de Lyon, the Gare d'Austerlitz, the Gare de Saint-Lazare, etc. Which is, I think, horrible because you have to go always first to, the, to, to, to Paris, then you have to change a train, take a taxi, it takes two or three hours before you're there and get another train. So if I go to Bordeaux, it takes me endlessly. So that's very funny. For the local Parisians, it's kind of normal. You choose your station in that way. So what we propose is to connect these lines with a crossing. So to have actually... What happens then is that the Gare du Nord gets, uh, you know, we make all these kind of lines, then underneath the Place de la République, you get the biggest station of Europe. That changes, because instead of, say, that everything ends in Paris, things continue. You become more part of a network on the European level, because also trains are passing by, than only to be a destination as such. So I think that is an interesting, say, on a large scale of perception, how you see your city as a carrefour, as a crossing point, instead of a terminus. As of a, this is slightly elitist, almost, I would say. Another example in that um, uh, way is um, the changing of the habitats and the extra program do we need for that. So that we have two examples for that. So in that way, I think instead of making extra developments, uh, not like Greater Moscow to add, add more, no, 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 to use that update of that program, we need slightly bigger houses, some smaller houses, we want to adjust them, to do that in the city only. So which means basically that I have to repair the old slab poor labor quarters from the 60s. That's nice, because then I can do immediately infiltrate in the discussion between people from Senegal or from the east of Europe, what kind of city they would like to have on that place. So this shows how that can be done, that insertion of new program in existing poverty in that way. Second element, I also say that the richer parts have also to contribute. 
That's a political issue. And I can't not do that in Versailles, where the protection rate is too great. But for the center part, for Hausmann, if I say, you, no, no, you also take a piece of the cake. I allow you to have one extra floor, all of center Paris only, make the attic slightly higher, and then you can infiltrate that with new housing, and you can earn. So the calculation of how much that in extra money would give in value, especially in the center of the city, is tremendous. That's zillions of euro, and I can use that for to get tax out of it and turn it into two metro lines or one crossing of DGVs. This is immediately now under discussion at the moment. This became so fruitful, also polemic, because there are people that don't want that. UNESCO is like confused at the moment. They see it and it's getting there. It was one of the revelations. Let's go to the next example on urbanism. Bordeaux. And I will tell you later why I think there's one specific element that I like so much because it affects our daily experience um, of this city. Bordeaux is a city that is uh, very beautiful. Big river, the Garonne, on the north side. You have a grandeur, you have a UNESCO, you have a very bourgeois, and it's a very rich and plein soleil in that way. And on the other side of the river, there's basically nothing in that way. So if I bike from one side of the city, I go to this bourgeois beauty, very European, and I pass the bridge in that way and I look to the left and I see UNESCO and I see on the right side I see then this nothingness I go further what is this nothingness about these are old casernes these are old small houses uh, neighborhoods that are in villages there are some fragments of contemporary architecture but basically hor horrendous so we suggest now uh, to the city together with the mayor and the, the community the region to have this densified and to make through a series of plots to put new programs housing in that and instead of bringing it further out in that way. And that's going on at the moment. And that changes, say, the city a lot. A lot, on the other hand, nothing, with a river in between. And if we fill that in here also with um, on that program, then you have already a kind of exemplary European city. Namely, it's dense around the river. What kind of perspectives can I give to that? Slogans within that, say, intensification. First is that that area should be dense and intense, European. Secondly, it should love history, hyper-European, I would say, uh, in that way. It uh, should be very mixed with different kind of people, different kind of shops, etc., in different kind of programs. And it should be very intimate. That's an interesting one. No big roads, only six meter wide roads. Can you do that for... What is it? About uh, 100,000 people in that way? No. I, and when it's green, it should be sprinkled. I don't want a big park, no, no. The Garonne is the big park, the river is it. The rest is like cute in that way. And update, and these are classically urbanistic components, one could say. Although they are touched in the 60s up till the 90s in other perspectives. So I add other agendas in it, that there's zero energy in it, that there's a lot of connections in public transport and a lot of connections in bike possibilities of that city. I add that every part of the street should have plein soleil, should be a light so that I can live on ground floor also in that perspective. And then we test it on this first piece that is coming up, Bastille-Niel. So what we do first, we make these connections, we reserve tramways at the moment, we add a new passerelle, a bridge, that is a UNESCO didn't want to have a bridge, so we made a glass bridge that uh, can be opened up like this escargot, and there are many platforms, many rails, there are old casernes, there are old monuments for the railways. So we say, okay, every building adopts that, but also a railway track. I cannot choose what is better in terms of history. I love all of them. You can build on top of it, and, but the only thing what you then add is a, a road that surrounds that plot. And I only need six meters for that. That's nice. Then I have a leftover place 
for the new program. And if I extrude that, because I get a kind of labyrinthic road system that is kind of defined by the, the history itself, which is very unexpected. It's not a grid, it's fantastic in that way. And then I start to work on, say, the program that can be then in between the plots. So if I extrude it, the given program is too high. So I need to cut it 45 degrees to give light to that intimate street, that you can sit on the street and have light also at the ground floor you can live, is what I wanted to say. I cut it even with 22 degrees for a certain sun angle in that way. And then you get this kind of volumes that come out. It looks like farms or something like that. Only roofs everywhere with strange things. And I can contextualize it to the neighbors. I can cut it when it's too big and turn it into a kashbah. I can make and divide all the pocket parks over it that follow also the same objective. And I can divide it between 144 architects. And then I have a, an area where ventilation can go through ecologically because the narrow streets are cooling and uh, uh, the aspect and it makes it make a certain kind of flow through the city possible. I can add on all the roofs solar panels. I can add for the other roofs vegetation that absorbs water and that keeps it and divides it between those zones. And then I have an area where no big spaces, only like small streets where you want to be on that street, where you want to see the other side of the streets while getting sun into your house. That must affect daily life, is what I wanted to say. This touch upon some kind of existing regulations. So one, for instance, is uh, that all the streets are so-called shared traffic space, one direction in that way. So if I'm with a car on the street, it's so small, a biker could be there, a walker could be there, an exit from a house could be there. So you have to tame down your speed, maximum 30 kilometers an hour is in this case shared space. That exists partly as a, as a possibility in the current laws in France, but not on this extent. So we had to adopt that law to make it possible. Second change, if you make a tram line, in a city, they have the two lines have to be together. Here we have to split it, which I think is more safe because you can cross a tram line easier in that way, and the noise levels are a little bit lower. So that I had to change the current traffic law to make that possible, and to do it. And when when there is a, a tram stop, to make a kind of corridor in between to view these two tram stops. So those are two of the laws that have been changed in order to make this. Uh, possible. That's the good part of French politicians. A mayor can also be a minister. So here Alain Juppé, who was a minister of external affairs, is the mayor and my client. So somehow he could also discuss it immediately on the national level and to have a very nuanced, uh, ultimately, uh, change of uh, laws to make it possible. That's one direct possibility that has been given by the French conditions and that appears sometimes also in other countries these days. So I give here an example on a small place in the area. Huh? You see the existing buildings, they are ruins at the moment, so we keep them as they are, uh, we clean them, and, uh, uh, and you can use them for different functions. Uh, that's part of every plot to be reactivated. We extrude them at that moment, so you build on top of it, and to the moment, that it cuts the sun angle and the light angle in that way and that you can see on the slides and that, that turns it also into a kind of strange combination of old and new. And the in-between plots, a six meter echo around all the historic elements allow for all the infrastructure in that way as explained before and also in the same logic the, the plots in between are appearing up to that kind of say roofscape that we then have created together that somehow because of its unexpected geometry you get also streets that are insane 
they're not the same. They're not a grid. I think it's also for if you live there, or have a kid there, or that how to walk around. That means that everything has a character by its nature, by its formal historical composition, as such. So here you see how it uh, shows itself to the city with the roof lines with the small streets. And maybe this is somehow the most radical in how it uh, works with uh, our daily life. It's in Almere, and we do, uh, Almere is a city in, next to Amsterdam. It's a new town, it's conceived in the 70s and uh, built in the 80s, 90s, and zeros. It's conceived as a kind of garden city. So every nucleus is surrounded by a landscape with the pluses and minuses. I'm not going to touch that. So we are asked to make one new town in the future, one new neighborhood for about 20,000 inhabitants. It is on a spot on the east side of Almere, uh, which looks Currently, like Russia, like it's like uh, polders, like just agriculture everywhere. The issue is now to make a city that somehow loves agriculture. It deals with how to deal with that. So you see the current composition of that area, that, that polder, is mainly agriculture and a little bit of forestry. We add housing to that for about 40% of the whole site. We try to blend uh, these functions in such a way that it touches everybody, that it becomes part of your responsibility when you make a piece of that town, that you also realize a piece of the agriculture, the forestry, the, the water element. So we try to mingle it uh, uh, completely. And we do it in such a way that everyone has to do that equally in percentage-wise. Okay, having said that, we want also to make this exercise successful through giving everyone the potential to do what he or she wants to do, whatever he wants. This should be like a zone where I can make my own plot, where I can design it in my own way without being constrained by, say, a formal order or a formal presentation of the city. How to do that? So there are a couple of rules. So the first is, say, you can do what you do, what you want, but you need to take a piece of the pie from every piece of the program you have to construct it to contribute to everyone. So there is a kind of responsibility in what it says. This is calculated through the, the regisseur of the area, which is basically a software. And that also indicates with the densities how much the ground price will be. So we will communicate that clearly. You can do that on yourself. I can do my, my house and make some pieces that contribute. I can do it also with more people. So I can collaborate with an agricultural company or I can do it, etc., to make that possible. And I can do it in a small scale. I can do it in a big scale. And I can do it in any shape I would like. Very rational or very romantic or like, a, like an écriture, like a written piece. I mean, uh, this slide shows all the potential that I can see in this language. And what happens then? First of all, is that you always be surrounded with nature or with agriculture. Your plot is always bigger than mentally now is considerable. So that I think is very crucial because you will be always living in a super dacha. Secondly, what is very important is that you are not allowed to harm your neighbors. If I can make my plot, there is someone going to live behind me, I have to give him right of way over my plot. You can do what you want, but you have to make roads. And then that has to mean also that you have to let people pass by. I think, wow, that's quite something. I liked it when I was living on the countryside and say walkers pass by over the farm of my grandmother. The next element that is, uh, I think, also an interesting element, you have to solve your water system on your plot. It's very undutch because we regulate that every venue, but also overflows, also uh, certain capacities, also certain cleaning aspect that has to be arranged on your plot. That means that the ground price should be lower because you have to pay for that. The second element is that, say, the water companies, they normally give you water. Now they become like facilitators how you can clean your own water. And the third thing is even the most important. I had to change here one piece of the Dutch constitution 
the law. Normally, I have the right to get water, which basically means that you're not for first to make your own water system, and that makes people also lazy. In that way. So in this area, you don't have that right to get water. You have to do it yourself. And it's compensated by the ground price, by the development price of the, of the plots. The king, same counts also for the electricity. Here we want that people are responsible on their own things, so they do their electricity. And you don't get electricity. Other amendment in the law. So this whole plot now, whole area, has a kind of exclusion in the Dutch constitution to test how with this kind of two or more other kind of laws what that would mean and what kind of effect that would have hopefully positive on say the autonomy of the different settlements that are there improvement of say that these kind of systems and the independency of people from the infrastructural systems as they are occurring at the moment in our countries and ultimately become then socially environmentally and economically maybe more viable. And if you continue with that, then I get a kind of urbanism that's full of surprises that I cannot predict. So a road normally is like like this, but here I go around what he or she or they have been creating at that moment and turns it into some kind of experience like that. So we know the system in the Netherlands that says you can build your own house. We call it organic building activities. But up till now, there is no urbanism that can do that. Organic urbanism, therefore, has maybe existed in the past, in many, also in Russia, or in many places, like things grow like that, in slums also, it's organic. We see that that grown patterns are much more social normally than the rigid given patterns of the state patterns. But on the other hand, this is not a slum. We're designing here for a middle class. We're designing, which I, I think in the end is needed in our countries to, to survive. And it's also in respect of certain kind of, say, uh, technologies uh, that we all want to have and safety uh, requirements that we want to have in terms of water and electricity. Uh, in Grand Paris, I showed a kind of series of touching on this quotidian where I, in Bordeaux, I focused on the intimacy of the street to touch upon the daily aspects of life. I think in Freiland or Freeland in Almere, it touches immediately on your daily life in a couple of manners, namely because you have to start to behave independently. You have to be an independent thinker, therefore, that makes solutions for certain kind of elements that I was not used to beforehand. And secondly, when it's done, when it's starting to come alive, it will affect directly because of omnipresence of agriculture in this kind of enclaves, almost cocosa-like environments, I could say. But that's a very strange city that I have not seen before. So that must have an effect on the perception of, say, the users or the inhabitants of that city. Basically, Asian cities can be confronted with another kind of, say, housing estates. So we were given this plot in Taipei, and at that moment to make a new block, basically. And, uh, but if I look to the site, and then I saw when x-rays how that site has grown in time with different kind of houses. Now it's poor, I'm aware. It's a symbol of poverty. It has to be updated, better quality, and has to have more density. So I looked around in Shenzhen and in Taipei and in Hong Kong, and, and made, I make endless pictures of housing. Everybody, oh, this looks like this, this looks like this. And they're all like extrusions of the same type of towers. And if I come, for instance, to, to places where you have this kind of repetitive towers uh, models where they show where I can select a house. So I come there with my girlfriend or my wife, and I have this brochure, and the brochure says type one, type two, and type three. And they're all the same. The only difference is the square meters in that way. That I find very poor. 
Okay, we are going to make your block. But what the block should be, uh, I can imagine that uh, someone wants to have a normal cubic house, another one wants to have a house with an attic, another one with a house with a tower in its way, or maybe a twin set would be great, or I could imagine here that a factory house that could work, or a house with, say, four angles, like a cross and a Catholic house, or a barn, or a courtyard, or the one that can run around. And if I apply different materials towards that, different gardens, different fences, different doors, different sizes, ultimately, that have a grand catalog to make, almost like an IKEA, but then on the place of a home. And then it was picked by different people. We put it on the market. They selected this kind of funny composition of buildings, and we just put them on top of it. And I had gratuitly a block, a collection of individuals. Now, the interesting part is in that way to make a high rise out of that. So, and what we further developed was the software to get your wishes in. You can calculate your house, the housemaker, that says how much it costs. And we made an added a village maker to that, where your a house is inserted in. You add how much view, how much darkness, how much light you want, uh, and, and, and what the costs are. And the program calculates then what the position can be in this growing block. And it includes, of course, stairs and structure that goes around the other houses to make that possible. So from that simple first jump, now to a bigger block, we need to have that software so that we can you know, discuss between the desires, the economical potential of the people and say the, all the values, the laws that are also in this project in terms of fire and escape and view and light. And what you see now is happening is that 60 homes are chosen and you can see them under construction as the model and show how they can differentiate them from the block attack that I could see in Southeast Asia as well as showing how that life could be in between those houses. It is, we call it a vertical village, and maybe people understand the word village as something romantic and going back to the past with certain kind of values. It refers partly to that. It refers to the aspect that I want to have an environment where I hopefully know some people, where I can see that, that the neighbor is a little bit different and that he has another kind of difference than, than the next neighbor, that I can walk pleasantly, and not only horizontally but also vertically in it, and that somehow it's porous with air that goes through it and hopefully very variable. So what you have seen in Almere, a flat 2D scale, I think that's what's happening in the vertical village in a three-dimensional, more dense scale. And that touches the daily life. Yes, because now I walk from home to home. Yes, I see others at that moment. I'm aware that people are different. So that's the daily life. It doesn't force you to be connected in that way, but it might suggest you to do that. There's also a field, a research field, that we could consider on that aspect. And that's the theoretical world that will bring in the future new kind of urbanism, new kind of architecture. I do think that, say, Baba Papa or the Transformer is a, a project I would like to show you better. It's done within the Y factory with some factories, uh, some real factories uh, in that uh, around it. It's based on this film that we produced together with Axel Nobel, where I can expect in the future certain kind of change in material. So this is a project that's is done with master students and with PhDs students, not only in architecture but also in the technological world. It's done with certain factories uh, that work on that product that has more souplesse, more changeability than the current products. When you make concrete, I pour different things with each other that are all very fluid and then they stabilize. Now this project wants to destabilize the product so I can go back again to other kind of components. So how will that work is basically the CHO and other molecules are uh, rearranged in such a way that the length between the molecules can change, the tension between. And that makes it possible that I get a material, this nano level, that becomes that I can stiffen and that I can de-stiffen, that I can even open up 
the holes and that this composition can be for instance only open temporary so that water can go through in that way and can be transported that way. So that plastic material, that changeable material makes it possible and there the architect comes in because I have to also to ask questions to the industry. If that becomes possible, what kind of things should I add? to that qualities, to a livable or fantastic environment. So it makes it possible. First, we, we did only the opportunities. So we showed that we could maybe open up the floor and turn it into a piece of furniture. We can, of course, the neighbor below has a bump in his ceiling. Or we do like opening up a window like that. And then you have like suddenly light coming into that. It means at that moment that we have uh, houses that can shrink to the minimum and can grow on your needs. Yeah, they like bubble gum. When my wife comes at home and we are sitting and watching television, that room is bigger. And then uh, the, we go and sleep, so that room becomes bigger, and or the material changes in the room. We wake up, have a sh one has a shower, the other one goes away, so I need that space. And if I can go further to the office, also that office grows at, at the moment that we need more people to come in in that way and to have these gatherings over time. And then it shrinks again because it gives space to the city again, for where you can have say, play basketball or with a group of people that mingle again and that come to that place. So the whole world become rubber, therefore, in that way. And it's uh, not only in 2D, but also 3D. It means also that if someone wants to pass by from above, that you can see that on this film, I shift a little bit and the other one can pass by because it's very easy. Like if you go to an IKEA bubble bath and you put your kid in it, then he falls in this enormous amount of balls. But actually, he shifts away a little bit the other baby that's just 20 centimeters further. It's a big absorber, space-wise. That's an interesting element, because I can do what I want, I can jump. This mass absorbs. So we asked also the students and the industry to detail that. And how to detail that, this film is, is showing. It's a film, it's a starting point. Is say, what do we need as a space? And we make a halo around ourselves, that we, and when we sleep, then I don't need anything. Basically, some breathing, actually, when eyes are closed in that way. But then I wake up, I want to see this film. You could say this is rubber. No, no, this is not material for the moment. This is a requirement that I have. So I want to have a better perspective. But then the material pushes me up, like in the film of Modern Times of Charlie Chaplin, when I'm in the bed, it pushes it up and you can walk immediately. So it becomes, and then you walk further and you leave space behind you. Well, that's the question in the end, but that's, we come back to that rhetorically. And I start to go and to walk because I want to open up the window. I want to, to see more. So somehow with my devices, what devices? Is it my, my app that says I want to, or my eyes? Don't I want to have all the lights coming in or is it like filtered in? We can create different openings with this material in that way that gives you that kind of say opening act that you have prescribed or that, that the building replies uh, to you or that has a kind of memory card in it. This kind of sequence is primitive and it puts of course questions to how much time we need for certain things, how much space we need to, what kind of space, how much do I want to store, how much do I want to keep, how much am I open for redirections in that way. So it questions all this. So it becomes very fundamental. I do think that this project is one of the most fundamental, even not emotional project that architecture can give. If there is no material stability, what will that give to us? But it helps, I think, to establish with the industry just the question, how can I make a door? How can I make a stair in that way? How does the stair come alive? How do I make the software for that? How does it connect to my memories? So there the architect already puts things in, 
in this material agenda, this material research. I'm looking forward to the first house, to have that tested in that way. It's, it's still a dream, like, or nightmare, uh, the configuration. And uh, yes, this affects, and uh, including daily life. This lecture is part of Strelka Talks project initiated by Strelka Institute in 2014, where researchers from various fields talk about critically important topics concerning contemporary cities and urban development. To see other episodes featuring Liam Young, Benjamin Bratton, Renemy Marcus, and many others, check out our YouTube playlist by following the link in the episode description.